Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Will Nettleton, pastor of mission and worship here at LMPC, and this is a Pillar and Ground confession episode. In our confession episodes, we seek to understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. This week, we're continuing our study in chapter six of the confession, which is titled, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and of the Punishment Thereof. And just to give you a quick recap, a reminder of what we talked about last time, Last time we established that we all have a sense that the world is not as it should be. Something is self-evidently off. And the confession reminds us that Christianity's accounting of how that happened is told in the first few pages of the Bible. The story of the Bible opens with our good God creating a good world and creating human beings to partner with Him in ruling it and extending His blessing. Then those first humans, Adam and Eve, are given a simple test. Would they trust God and His Word? Or would they disobey him and attempt to define right and wrong for themselves? And of course, we know which they chose. And the confession tells us that in so doing, the world was broken and we were broken. Sin entered in and changed everything. Adam and Eve lost communion with God. Sin tainted every part of them, mind, body, and soul, and they were sentenced to die. We also saw last time that though all of this went against what God had desired from Adam and Eve and the mystery of his sovereignty and providence, none of their actions fell outside of his divine plan. God did not have to go back to the drawing board after the fall. In fact, he had a plan all along uh, to show mercy. So that was paragraph one and two of chapter six. This week we are looking at paragraphs three and four, which moves from talking about Adam and Eve and their sin to the effects that their sin had on everyone who came after them. So let me just read paragraph three, and then we'll try to unpack it together. Since they were the root of all mankind, that is Adam and Eve, the guilt of this sin was imputed to, and the same death and sin and corrupted nature were conveyed to, all their posterity descending from them, by ordinary generation. So paragraph three establishes the connection between our sin and the sin of Adam and Eve. And it uses the imagery of a family tree, uses that root language. Adam and Eve serve as as the parents of all humanity, as the roots of a family tree. When poison gets into the root system of a tree, that poison is going to spread to every leaf and branch of the tree. No part is going to be left unaffected. And the confession tells us that is exactly what happened to humanity's family tree. When the poison of sin got in, it spread to every branch that grew out of the roots. This makes a sort of intuitive sense, I think. Adam and Eve could only produce their own kind. Their children would inevitably be in their likeness. And so the corrupted sin nature was passed on from generation to generation, as was the death sentence that came with it. The implications of this are significant because it means that none of us are born good or or even neutral. We don't start with a clean slate at birth as babies, even though we often look at babies and think of them as innocent. The scriptures tell us that none of us start with a clean slate. David gets at this in Psalm 51 in verse 5 when he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here we are talking about the doctrine of what theologians call original sin. And by that, theologians don't mean Adam's first sin, i.e. the original sin in the garden, but rather humanity's moral and spiritual condition because of that sin, our original nature or status. Some theologians frame the distinction with a helpful question. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we are sinners? It's a little bit of a which-came-first question. And the confession is saying it's the latter. 
We sin because we are born sinners. We have inherited a sin nature from Adam. This topic has been a subject of much debate throughout church history. In the 4th century AD, a theologian named Pelagius argued that Adam's fall into sin had no direct effect on his offspring, other than it just set a bad example for them. In other words, Pelagius argued that Adam's sin affected no one other than Adam. Pelagius, of course, was ultimately condemned as a heretic for these and other assertions at the Council of Chalcedon in 431. He was condemned because the Bible clearly teaches a connection between Adam's sin and the moral and spiritual condition of the rest of humanity. We see this most clearly in Romans 5, verse 12, where Paul says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Paul's point there is not that all humans have sinned like Adam did, and that's why we suffer the curse of death. His point is that all humans share in the consequences of Adam's sin. This is what the confession is getting at when it says in our chapter, the guilt of his sin was imputed to, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature were conveyed to, all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. This doctrine of original sin answers a really important question about sin. That is, why is it so universal? This was actually one of the key problems with Pelagius' theory. If Adam's sin did not make all mankind sinners, we would expect at least some of us not to sin. Surely just by sheer numbers, one of us would have been able to pull it off. If human beings are born as blank slates, how do we explain the reality that each and every one of us ultimately does choose sin? If we didn't inherit a sin nature, why is it that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3? Now, one question that you may have as we even talk about this, about sin passing from generation to generation, is about Jesus. How does he fit into all this? If all humans inherit a sin nature, and Jesus was fully human as we affirm that he was and is, how did he then remain sinless? And here I think we just need to appreciate the confession's precision in language. Let me reread paragraph 3 and see if you can catch which part might answer our question about Jesus. Since they were the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed to, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature were conveyed to, all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. In case you haven't picked it up, it's those last two words that give us the key. Ordinary generation. That language is referring to how human beings are conceived through the sexual union of a man and a woman. That's how our lives are ordinarily generated. But of course, that's not how Jesus was conceived. And in case you've ever wondered why the doctrine of the virgin birth matters, this is it. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It was, we might call it, extraordinary generation. And it's important because that is how he could be born sinless. Everyone going the ordinary way, coming into existence the ordinary way, has inherited a sin nature. But Jesus was born differently than the rest of us. Now, this whole discussion may raise another question for you. I mean, the confession explicitly says that the guilt of Adam and Eve's sin was imputed or or credited to us, and we have inherited a sin nature because of their choices. Now, perhaps you wonder how God can do that. How can he condemn us for something that we didn't do? How could we have sinned in Adam when we weren't even born yet? And this is where I think we have to take off our Western individualistic glasses and try to see humanity from a biblical perspective. 
Because the Bible doesn't represent human beings as isolated individuals separately created by God. It pictures us as an organic, connected unit, like the family tree that we described earlier. Further, the scriptures tell us that this connection means that Adam was acting as our representative. We can think of it as somewhat analogous to our relationship with our elected representatives here in America. If our elected representatives in Congress were to declare war on another country, then America and every one of her citizens would be considered to be at war. Now, we as individual citizens might disagree with the war. We may not have even voted for the representatives who passed the declaration of war. But as citizens of this country, because they are our representatives, their acts, in a way, are our acts. To return to Romans 5, the Bible tells us that in a similar way, Adam was our representative. And in sinning, he declared war on God. And so the whole family tree was and is at war. So having considered original sin in paragraph 3 of chapter 6, the confession then turns in paragraph 4 to what they call actual sins. Let me read paragraph 4, and then we'll unpack it. From this original corruption, by which we are utterly disinclined, disabled, and antagonistic to all that is good, and wholly inclined to all that is evil, all actual transgressions proceed. So here the confession is echoing what it said back in paragraph two, which we covered last time as we talked about total depravity. The result of inheriting that original corruption from Adam is that sin has affected us in every part, and now we are totally inclined toward it. Sin flows out of that nature. To reiterate, we sin because we are sinners. As Chad Van Dixhorn helpfully phrases it, the state of sin erupts into a life of sin. Paul in Romans 3, 10 through 12 captures this dynamic when he says, both none is righteous, that captures the state of sin that we are in. And then in verse 12, he goes on to say, no one does good. So no one is righteous and no one does good. That captures both the state of sin we're in and the life of sin. We are not good and we do not do good. That actually captures well the distinction between original sin and actual sin. Original sin is the state. Actual sins are the actions, thoughts, affections, emotions that arise naturally from that state. They are sins connected to our acts, either physical acts or acts of our will and emotions and thoughts and affections. This actually leaves us with a pretty dire portrait of humanity. To use an illustration, it's as if we've inherited a debt or the sin, the original sin that we have, that nature, is like a debt that we've inherited from our ancestors. But it's not even a debt that we are motivated or able to pay off. In fact, instead of trying to pay it, we actively and indiscriminately add to it. As Paul says in Romans 3.12, none of us seek after God. Our nature is such that in and of ourselves, we don't want to see this made right. That's what Paul says in Romans 7.18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. As we close, you may be wondering why this doctrine is important. The doctrine of original sin is important because it provides the basis for a true understanding of who we are as fallen human beings apart from Jesus Christ. This doctrine helps us understand why we cannot save ourselves and why we need God's supernatural grace in the gospel. 
This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2 when he writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. As dead people, we can't bring ourselves back to life. And we would be hopeless if it weren't for what Paul says just a few verses later. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The bad news of original sin is that because of the sin of one man, Adam, we are born dead, as it were. But the good news of the gospel is that because of the righteousness of one man, Jesus, we can be born again. The Bible talks about Jesus as a second Adam, one who represents us far better than the first one. And we'll have lots more to say about that in future episodes. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Thank you.